0: Well, I tell you, that Doug McCary, where is he? I mean, he, his name just keeps surfacing every time we start talking about bad things. No.
1: I mean, I didn't even get in the door and I started hearing about what your crew did. What, you all ran over a 12-year-old girl today? All right, come up
0: here and explain this. Right here. Well, come up here and explain this. <laughs> Well, you see, I was going down the mountain just enjoying myself with all these great guys, and some 12-year-old girl thought she was going to interrupt this great bonding time, and I just wasn't going to have it, and God wasn't going to have it. (laughs) See, that's not the story I heard. I heard Doug was teaching you guys how to be torpedoes, and Doug, his last words to you were, guys, nothing gets in our way going down this mountain. Isn't that the true story? That's it. Kent Dahlberg, come introduce Walter for us. Well, uh, as you know, the Wednesday night is Walter Bradley night at High Ground every year, and uh, this is your 11th time with us, Walter, and your 10th time speaking. And he uh, doesn't have his son or son-in-law with him this year, but uh, we're glad to have him. And, I, and we were skiing with him today, and he's he's still fighting form. He looked great and uh, kept right with us. We were skiing we're skiing him pretty hard, but. He peeled off after lunch. I think he'd had enough. So, uh, and maybe Walter, it, many of you know he's, he has a, a cancerous condition. That's, it's a form of leukemia. Is that right? And so maybe you can give us a little update on that. And, and also maybe in some of the stuff, interesting stuff you're doing with the third world. So anyway, Walter, it's great to have you, and uh, thanks for, for teaching. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's really great to be at High Grant. I was thinking this morning it was 10 years ago that Kent first invited me, and uh, Kent, I want to thank you for introducing me to such an interesting and neglected group of people. And uh, I was telling somebody today, it's a lot more. This is a lot more interesting group than the people I talk with in the faculty lounge. So, uh, (coughs) uh, and have a lot higher testosterone level too. So it's a rather fun group to go hang around with for a little bit of relief and, and, and uh, sort of a little different experience, but it's been great being here. I want to thank uh, Jim as well for letting me be a part of High Ground over these last uh, 10 years. It's been uh, sort of doing life together in a way that I think is, is pretty significant. It's amazing to me how I see some of you once a year, really, and that's pretty much it, and yet we sit down and have significant conversations about things that are going on in our lives. And it's, it's odd because some of those same significant conversations I don't really have uh, with as many people where I live. So I there's just something special about being together under the circumstances we are here that I think provides a real opportunity to uh, minister to each other and to spend time together. And uh, I just appreciate all of you guys. I feel like that uh, one of the great blessings of my life has been really becoming a part of... of uh, All of this, I just wish we could get together more than once a year, although I'm not sure how we'd ever do that. But anyhow, (laughs) uh, it's great being together. A bunch of you have been kind enough to pray for me over the last three years. I have uh, chronic lymphocytic leukemia, and I I have a new doctor who makes graphs, and that's nice. So my last visit, uh, which was last week, uh, he actually gave me, uh, Dave, if we can see those, okay, the second thing I wanted to share with you, last year I gave a talk about what we were doing with coconuts, and I think probably many of you, like many of my friends in Waco, think I'm nutty. You know, they think I've lost my marbles or something because I'm so excited about doing coconut stuff, but but I'm getting the last laugh because uh, the stuff that I was sharing with you last year, uh, we think will be in uh, at least five different major auto makes uh, by probably January of next year. Uh, we're in the last stages of doing all the certifications and getting approval, and uh, then we're finding a bunch of other applications. They ran a story in the in the Waco newspaper about what we were doing at Baylor on this with myself and the several students that are working with me. And the AP picked it up, and it we got contacted by people all over the world. I mean, it was pretty amazing because uh, I had one of my students. We got several people calling us reporters and stuff from different, pretty far off places like Washington, D.C., and the Netherlands, and so forth. And uh, I said, why don't you go do a Google search, and let's at least get a few of our press clippings, it sounds like. And they said, so they went and did that. We had 15 pages worth of links. And so, uh, now we actually didn't want that much publicity because we aren't yet there. And we'd like to be there and have everything sort of worked out before we get other people interested in trying to be copycats. But it's been just wonderful to see the way God's worked things out. Uh, with my two master's students who are working on this project, we started a company called HolTree. Tree. So now I feel like I fit in better at high ground because I'm a business guy. Uh, I'm actually on the board, okay? I'm the chairman of the board. I'm the chief financial supplier uh, at this point. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I feel some of your pain as you're sort of uh, saying, you know, it's, it's good, the good news is I work for myself. The bad news is I work for myself, you know. But, uh, but actually, I still have my job at Baylor, but I'm, the, I'm, I'm paying some of my uh, former students to work, in the, uh, and I know that... Uh, as God is continuing to work things out, that that'll be a short-term thing. We'll have positive cash flow maybe in a month. We just got an order for 50,000 pounds worth of coconut fiber for somebody that's not even automotive-related, it's somebody else. And so when we got all this publicity, we got a lot of it was just a lot of newspaper people wanting to write a story, but a few people were actually people who wanted to buy some coconut fiber if it would make good composites. (laughs) And so we were thankful to get a few of those instead of uh, that. The, The day that Obama was inaugurated... The, if you had gone to ABC News at their uh, news uh, website the first thing was Obama's uh, uh, you know inauguration and then the first un- thing under that was coconut cars coming mm-hmm. and so we thought well, that was pretty good timing you know because a lot of people went to the website probably that day okay real quickly um, this is my, uh, my blood count and I've been telling all of you that it's going up so my my preference would be that it would just go back to where it was before or that it would go flat On the other hand, I've had three years and I'm still feeling perfectly normal and that's expected. If you look at the next graph, next graph says uh, that's my red cell count and as as long as that red cell count says okay then they're not going to do chemo or anything because it'll screw up my immune system. Right now my immune system's kind of working so I'm at 60 and I'll probably have to have chemo when I get to 150 and if I stayed on that line It would be five or six years. There's no guarantees that'll happen, though. It can go like, every time I go, I say, someplace you hit the tipping point, it goes up real fast, and it starts doubling every month. And now it's, you know. So I've learned a lot about (coughs) learning to live with uncertainty and just saying, you know, uh, my life has always been in the Lord's hands, and it's no less so now than it ever has been. And so I'm not going to worry about it and, and sort of take whatever comes. It's ironical in a way that probably the most happy rewarding three years of my life have been the last three and God has blessed me with the things we're doing with coconuts this last summer I got to go and speak to the presidents of 32 Christian universities in Indonesia and I spent two weeks there working with faculty and helping them to figure out how to be a more profoundly Christian presence in a Muslim country and uh, and it was just a, a phone call that I got uh, uh, in February from somebody I would never met before who said somebody recommended you to go with me to Indonesia to do this and I was a little skeptical because I thought I didn't think there were Christian universities in Indonesia and I didn't know who this guy was and and I was sort of thinking maybe it was a boondoggle but it ended up being one of the most significant things I've ever had the opportunity to do and so uh, while I was there I went to Sri Lanka and worked with some missionaries there to get some coconut production stuff set up so that as soon as we're ready to start buying we'll have plenty of supply so it's just the last three years has been amazing in all kinds of ways and I appreciated what Jim is sharing this morning about miracles. A lot of times the miracles we pray for aren't necessarily the ones that we get. But I've seen God work in so many amazing ways in this last three years that I'm perfectly happy with the set of miracles God has given me as opposed to the one that I might have uh, thought was most important three years ago, which was to be cured. And I would still be happy to have that happen. But I think there are things that are more to be concerned about than death. And one of those is to have a life of insignificance. And at this point, I'm much more worried about having a sort of a worthless life than to, that extends on for, uh, in perpetuity as opposed to having a life that's really significant. And I think God has made my life rich and significant in these last three years in ways that have been just completely astonishing. And so I'm, I'm happy to be with what God has given me in terms of need opportunities. And I'll take my cancer as part of that package and say, praise the Lord, I'm just thankful. I still feel perfectly normal uh, and except when I'm skiing. People say I look normal. Uh, I wasn't getting style points today, but this is my first day since last year at High Ground, and so some of you guys practice more than I do. But I really, it's just great to be here. Uh, And I just appreciate your prayers and your concern. uh, that graph that I showed you looks pretty steep, but uh, I can make that look less steep by just changing the scale on the bottom. And, uh, <laughs> and then it'll look like it's really going pretty slow. In fact, if I, factor, I make the scale real wide like this, it'll look like it's almost not going up at all. And I probably should do that and then post it on my wall. So I think, you know, I'm really doing pretty good. Look how low that slope is. It's just barely going up. But, uh, but it's just great to be here. And again, it's, it's uh, uh, a special privilege to be a part of this group. I want to do something different tonight, although maybe you say, well, you do something different every year, so what's new? But uh, this is more different than what I normally do. Uh, I want to show you two short movie clips, and I want to use these as a springboard to have what I hope will be a very significant conversation that I'd like to do in small groups. And the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to show the movie, and then I'm going to ask you to get in groups of four, and this is also a test to see if you can count. Because we do this and we say, let's all get in groups of four, and then there's 25 people in one big, (laughs) huge, humongous group, and and then there's some people sitting by themselves, and you think, you know, four. One, two, let me help you, you know, for those of you that aren't good at math, uh, uh, four. So let me tell you, the first first one we're going to see is a whole movie, but it's only 25 minutes long. It's a movie that got all kinds of awards in Europe, and when you see the movie, you're going to be shocked because either the people in Europe who gave the awards were really out of it and didn't know what the movie was really about or they aren't as uh, sort of secular as I thought you are probably familiar with the story of uh, Abraham and Isaac (coughs) and what you're gonna see in this movie is uh, what I'm sure are some Christian Polish filmmakers attempt to capture in a very modern setting some of the key ideas that come out of that story. It's done in a really magnificent way. Uh, my wife doesn't like this movie at all. Uh, after showing it to her, I showed it. I said, "I'm going to show this at Sunday school." She said, "Oh, you can't do that. People will be appalled." But uh, when you see it, I think you'll say it's one of those movies, sort of like the Passion of the Christ, that is powerful in a painful way. Uh, but it's something we need to see and think about more carefully. Um, the I have a, a friend <coughs> who was, grew up in Albania, became a Christian almost immediately after the Iron Curtain fell, came to the United States on the Fulbright Fellowship, was in a graduate course in English at Texas A&M, and as often happens, they were making fun of the Bible and what kind of a God would actually call somebody to uh, murder their own son, and the God of the Bible is a terrible God. And so he a- asked a very simple question. He, he's an Albanian guy, and he says... Has anybody in this class, including the teacher, ever read the story? And of course, nobody had. So here they're making fun of it and ridiculing it and all that. And he said, "Well, I have my Bible here. Why don't we just take a couple of minutes and read the story through, and see what it actually says, and maybe we'll see what it really is about." Oh yeah, great idea, great idea, you know. So he reads the story, and when he gets finished, people are sort of like, uh, "Well, so what is that supposed to mean?" Okay. And he said, you know, it is appalling to think that God would ever call anybody to murder their own son. It's so appalling, it was a foreshadowing of what God would ultimately do himself. And it shows the greatness of God's love in a way that we almost can't comprehend, you know. It's almost incomprehensible. And, boy, there was stunned silence in the class. Because they'd never thought of it that way. Here, this is a great literary teacher, totally misses the whole point, and so do all the other students in the class. They're all supposed to be Ph.D. students in literature, and they're so ignorant of what the Bible is really trying to communicate that they completely miss the point. Now, it seems to me like maybe some of the reviewers of this film in Europe because it got a bunch of awards, not for the full-length films, but for shorts. So I want you to watch this, and then we're going to have a very, what I hope will be, a significant but short discussion of it and I want you to pay really good attention and try to figure out this is an allegory and the allegory you need to figure out who is what in the allegory as you look at the important characters everybody in the movie is playing an important role okay and I want you to pay really good attention try to figure out in this allegory who is who what's the story really trying to tell us okay so if we can roll it uh, and maybe cut the lights down I apologize, it's in Polish, uh, but it does have English subcaptions, which will help a lot, okay? Take just a, maybe five or six or seven minutes say, what do you think were the important things that were trying to be communicated by the guys that made the movie? Because there's a lot of interesting uh, stuff in there. And then I will kind of, in a bigger group, do a quick highlight of that. Yeah, we're we're gonna have Randy present. This. I listen to this group over here. They really did good. And uh, why don't you not you share with us what you just shared? This was good. The, the movie has a lot of little nuances. I've seen it about five times now, and each time you see it, you pick up more stuff. At the beginning, uh, you see what's happening right before the train takes off. Then there's a lot of flashbacks, and if you aren't paying attention, you're kind of figuring out the girl dumped the guy at the train, and then what's she what's he doing riding on the streetcar with? Well, that was. The, they were, It was a flashback. Yeah. So you're finding out who are these people on the train, and what are they like, and and so forth. So you get a little bit of a sense of uh, of that. And then, okay, Randy, tell us what you think the movie was about. Then, Does okay. He, get a <clears throat> he gets a microphone. Yes.
0: Well, you did have to uh, watch close. There, there was the obvious the love of the father, and then he has to make an extremely hard choice. I thought the movie did a a very good job of of portraying his agony when he had to pull the switch, knowing what would happen. I've heard that story before. Y'all probably have, too. Um, And all the people on the, the train, after he pulled it, they're going by, living their lives, have no idea what the sacrifice was. None in the world. They're just going along uh, and, and not particularly important people. They had the nerd whose girlfriend just dumped him. Uh, and <clears throat> but the significant one was, was the, uh, the girl in the red stocking cap uh, had a drug problem. She was, she was running away. Her sister couldn't get her to, to stay. She was the only one on the train that, as she drove by, seized the father, seized his absolute agony, and apparently figured something out. It shows the train going. Did I miss something? Yeah, oh. She has an epiphany. Yeah, yeah epiphany, yeah. Right.
1: That sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah,
0: I, I was about to say that. I was about to say that, <laughs> okay. yeah. So if you're oh, not she's walking, the train stops. She's walking back down the track, and there was one little show. You had to watch for it. Uh, she walks back down the track, and you see her. It was her because she had the red cap, holding the dead son. So, apparently, she went back and, and expressed appreciation to the father for doing this. And then she goes on, cleans her life up, stays off drugs, and we don't know if she got married and have, uh, got pregnant. I think uh, uh, one of the, the thoughts was probably she had a baby because her sister was trying to get her to stay. Cleans up her life, and now she's taking care of the baby. She's obviously clean and sober. She's happy. She's got this beautiful baby. And the father, who's still walking the streets, just, just you know, torn up. But he, he knew that this girl, as a result of what he did, knew she'd straighten her life out. She now has a baby, walks up to him, smile on her face. She's clean. She's sober. Look what I'm doing. And he said, it hit him. He finally got happy. As of the sacrifice I made, I gave life to somebody. Mm-hmm. So that was what I thought. Yeah.
1: Well, that's what the four of thought. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'll pick up on it just right away. This is a group thing. Okay. Some other comments. I don't know if you picked up other things. I think, be careful, this is an allegory now, so you may say, well, the guy doesn't make a good God figure because God uh, uh, would have. uh, he, He wasn't playing God. He was trying to show, I think, though, the difficulty in a pictorial way of what God did for us people on the train were a pretty sorry bunch you know sort of like humanity on average and uh, very indifferent to uh what's going on you know i think the movie portrait captures in a really great way the fact that as much as god has loved and sacrificed for us it's easy for a lot of people to be either unaware of that or simply indifferent to it you know and uh yeah
0: did you say this was a-
1: you know, I don't know for sure. I know nothing about it, except I, got, I read a really good review in Christianity Today, and I was curious enough that I bought it. But it's very clear what the what the message of the movie is, and so I would have a bit of a hard time imagining a non-Christian making the movie, and it sort of surprised me that it got a lot of movie awards. It was very well done, but the message, unless like the English professor at Baylor who's so out of it that she doesn't really see there's a bigger... This is a little story, uh, which is really meant to be... Uh, portraying uh, in some impartial way uh, a much bigger story. And I thought it did.
0: Reviews because nobody told the critic that it was Christian. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure the people who gave it all the words may, may not have even have been aware of that. There's so many, there is such a widespread ignorance of, of the Bible and, and, and biblical themes. It's easy for me to imagine somebody seeing the movie and thinking it was just a great story, you know, and not really see it's a great little story in its own right. But it really is meant to capture a much bigger story. Yeah. Uh, just
0: the beginning of the movie. The start uh, When he looks up and he says, "You know, I'll always be looking
1: of you right there." There's many, many examples. And when she sees him, and in her somehow she has her epiphany. Okay, if we can all use that word. Uh, and then she looks up to the sky, and it's obvious that somehow God is using that moment as a redemptive moment in her life. And then later. The sun breaks out, it was a gloomy, you know, later in the movie you see, okay, here's what redemption looks like as it comes full bloom, you know, so, there's a lot of good imagery in there, I mean, there's just so much richness, I think, to it, but it really uh, says some things that some, some and seeing the passion of the Christ, to me, is something that I now do every Good Friday, just because I don't want to forget, it's a painful movie to watch, it's really not fun to watch that, Uh, this one's uh, good in the same way and like my wife says she doesn't like it because she, she says it's, it's too sad you know and it is sad you know but on the other hand it's sad in a good way to really think more deeply about what God's done for us now I want to show you just 10 minutes of one more and then we're gonna quit okay because I think like, we want to have some sharing time but the second movie the first 10 minutes I hope will hook you on seeing the rest of it how many of you have ever either read Victor Hugo's book uh, Les Miserables or seen the movie or the musical Okay, and I want, what I want to do is to show you a little clip of this because, again, it's a movie that's talking about the greatness of God's grace. But we're going to see the first part, which in a way is dealing with exactly what this movie did. The rest of the movie is about the transformational power of unconditional love and forgiveness. You know? uh, so if we can run, uh, Dave, the next one, and we'll do just about 10 minutes, okay? You can't sleep
2: here. Get away from me. Why don't you go to an inn? What do you think? Did you knock on doors and ask people? I asked. I asked everywhere. Leave me alone. You didn't ask there. Knock on that door. that be? Do you have any food you can spare for me? Come in. Look, I'm a convict. My name is Jean Valjean. I've served 19 years hard labor. They let me out four days ago. I'm on parole. I have to go all the way to Dijon to report by Monday or they'll send me back to prison. So here's my passport. I can't read, but I know what it says. He's very dangerous. Monsieur, you're welcome to eat with us as my guest. I'm a convict. You saw my passport. I know who you are. You, you're gonna let me inside your house? What crime did you commit? Maybe I killed someone. How do you know I'm not going to murder you? How do you know I'm not going to murder you? What's that, a joke? I suppose we'll have to trust each other. I didn't kill anyone. I'm a thief. I stole food. I stole, but I paid for it. 19 years in chains. So they let me out, and they give me a yellow passport. What can I do with a yellow passport? I have to go to my parole officer in Dijon, and then what, starve to death? (laughs) 19 years, and now the real punishment begins. (laughs) Man can be unjust. Man, not God? All right, whoever you are, thank you. A meal and a bed to sleep in, a real bed. And in the morning, I'll be a new man. Is anybody there? Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the Bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you.
1: now if you see the rest of the story uh, the rest of the story really is a wonderful picture of what unconditional love and forgiveness looks like and what I like about both of these is the people in the stories were not people that were searching for God they were not people that had any merit at all the fellow who is uh, Jean Valjean in this case uh, saw himself as what? A really bad guy, right? I mean, he obviously sees himself as that and behaves in a very bad way. And had the priest done what he could have done, he would have spent the rest of his life in prison, right? They would have thrown the key away For a loaf of bread, he got 19 years. How much for that much silver, you know? And uh, so I think in, in, the, in the story, I think the role that uh, uh, the, the point of the story, you have to be careful because you can't map point for point who's what and all that Uh, But I think this is a picture of what God's unconditional love and forgiveness can do and the transformational effect that it has. Now, we don't have time, but I want to recommend one passage of Scripture I would really encourage you to read in the next day or two as these movies are fresh on your mind, and that's Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. And in that particular passage, it's where Jesus gives the uh, response to Peter, "How How many times must I forgive my brother, and Peter thinks he says... He's doing really good when he says seven because the tr- Jewish tradition was three. And Jesus said, no, seven times seven. And then he goes through this wonderful parable about the servant who owes a tremendous amount of money uh, to uh, his Lord. And when he can't pay it, the uh, master is going to throw him into prison, but he begs for mercy for him and for his family. And the master graciously forgives him. But what happens next to that is really a sort of interesting contrast. Because somebody who owes him, a, you know, like a dollar, comes up. And he does, in fact, have his friend thrown in prison. And, of course, the end of the story is that uh, uh, in light of how much God has forgiven us, how can we ever withhold love and forgiveness to those around us? I think God wants us to be a conduit of his grace in a world that's really pretty graceless the world is not a place where grace abounds, I think you'll agree, it's mostly what? eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth and if you don't treat me right I'm not going to treat you right and so forth and, and many of the problems in the world today are just a reflection of that, the lack of grace in the situation, so I think that if you uh, take the time, how many of you have seen this whole movie? Have, quite a few of you seen it, a few of you, and the musical is really fantastic as well if you ever have a chance to see it but it's a beautiful picture of what God's unconditional love should do in the lives of people who have experienced it. And the fact that we probably don't always uh, respond in the grace the way we should to others is because we really don't, we have a fairly minimal view of exactly what it is that God's done for us. And because we don't see it very clearly, or we tend to think it wasn't that bad, or we were sort of worthy, or we were searching God, and, and none of that's true. I think both of these are trying to picture the situation as it really is. And we're Jean Valjean, and we're the, the girl in the red cap, you know. And we need to see that more clearly and to ask God to help us to really love him in the way that we ought, we should in light of what he's done for us. Why don't we close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the beautiful way that stories, as Jesus so often used them, tell us, give us glimpses of what you're like how much you love us, of how much you've sacrificed for us, and the the fact that grace is free to us is easily, uh, it's easy for us to overlook. It was very, very costly to you, extraordinarily costly. And Father, it's so easy for us to enjoy the grace that you've given and then treat the people around us who need grace from us, who don't deserve it, who are just like the people in the two movies, just like we are, who don't deserve it at all, and yet You've said, in light of what I've forgiven you, how can you possibly withhold forgiveness from people around you, from our spouses, from people we work with, from people who maybe have been dishonest with us in business, people who are absolutely unworthy, and yet you've set the picture, you've made the standard of how we should respond, how we should be able to experience through the supernatural power that comes through your forgiveness of us to become the kind of a person who can be a uh, visual picture of what God's grace looks like. We just thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks.